Secret Lost Secret podcast and yep. uh, live stream. The only live stream Instagram podcast. Now that's science fiction for you. And this week our theme is science fiction. <laughs> no one believes it could be done. And then no they, one could have predicted. Then they wrote about it. And this. there you go. Who are you? So I'm I'm Ender. I decided I'm gonna, that's what character I wanted to be. Because I was looking at different characters. And, and who are you? Where can people Ender, find you? Ender is from the the novel. I think they made a film. Uh, Ender's Game. And the whole series by Orson Scott Card. One of the preeminent science fiction writers. Um, but who are you? Character. But like who are you for real? Yeah, Ender. <laughs> Where can the people find you? Oh, I'm a, I, I go by uh, Wires of NYC. Yes. On Instagram and Mixcloud and Twitter. You can find me on those places. And you're a doctor of Wires. Mm-hmm. So and you can find me authority. here at Secret Loft once we reopen to the public. Or also here if you break in. Mm-hmm. We can rescue you. Yeah. And How I'm, about you? I'm Lilu from the Fifth Element. Uh, I'm also Arielist. Ariel dot ist, and that's what I do. I'm an Arielist. Yeah. Uh, I speak my own language, like um, like Lulu as well. Yeah. Like, can you tell us the backstory though? The backstory. Yeah, so we're going to give you a history of science fiction from Shakespeare <laughs> all the way up to Star Wars. Wasn't it like Mila Jovovich and? Oh, uh, oh no, no, we'll get to that. That's wrote, a teaser. Like, no, don't okay. give it away at the beginning. They have to listen all the way to the end. Come on, uh, come on. This is how so, podcasts sorry, work. I don't. I'm not familiar with the genre. Um, yeah, so let's let's start at the beginning. You did some deep historical study. I did. Of the first sci-fi. So what did you find? So there's a lot of different uh, uh, speculations or, I guess, arguments of when the actual first sci-fi s- story or work was or and what it was. And I'll tell you a couple honorable mentions before... Uh, before I tell you the one that everyone pretty much agrees upon. Um, yeah, so there were like some ancient, some ancient stories, um, like the Epic of Gilgamesh and the- Gilgamesh is, is not yeah. sci-fi. Exactly, that's what I'm saying. These are like honorable mentions. These are when people are like, you could say. Um, oh, yeah. You know what I mean, right? Like, like technology is used. I suppose. Yeah. And okay. there's, well, because they, you know, there's like, there's this Japanese uh, story where this girl t- uh, sort of time travels. And then there's, um, there are some okay. Arabian stories where people fly, you know, they, there's like flying, they, they have like lettuce wings or something. So there was fantasy. Yes. And then yeah. I just want to mention real quick, the Tempest, mm-hmm. who I'm, for, who human me is named after yeah. Ariel. A lot of people on the internet say that the Tempest is a is a work of science fiction because they say that Prospero is a mad scientist, but he's probably more of a magician. But they didn't really have a difference at that time, so yeah, magicians were scientists, yeah, and alchemists and stuff. Exactly. So yeah. maybe that was the first one, but everybody really agrees that it's Mary Shelley's Frankenstein because. Mm-hmm. 
bringing people like electricity was kind of like a new thought thing experiment that was happening. She, she specifically wrote a novel to explore an idea because she had read uh, a, like some article about electricity, some like popular science article about electrical about frogs. About if you if oh. you poke a dead frog with electricity, its legs move as if it were alive. And she was fascinated by this. Like, oh, what if you could bring people back to life? And that is yeah. quintessential science fiction. Some scientific advance and then a writer is like, In but, but what if? But what if? But could, what if you could? Your, your mate was a computer. But what if you could make an ideal person out of dead persons? This is our play on uh, Black Mirror. Yeah. How they come up with that. This is actually Black Mirror. Yeah. Yeah, and Mary Shelley felt like she was a bit of a freak from childhood. She had a bit of she had a bunch of physical problems. <laughs> so, the idea of making the perfect, you know, a perfect being without man's flaws, but then having it be more flawed than man, but then having man see it and feel like he's flawed was very enticing to her. So that's, yeah, it's Frankenstein. You should read Frankenstein too. It has a lot of, it has a lot of daddy issues in it. And it actually, when I, when I, I guess read a synopsis and then like different sections of it for our Gothic literature episode, um, I became very emotional. (laughs) It's great writing. Yeah. So you should definitely check it out. So that was the first science fiction work of science fiction. Yeah. And so, I mean, after that, around then, right, like all sorts of people then started writing, I guess, speculative fiction novels based on that. Yeah. And also it was around the Age of Enlightenment. Um, Like, so there were all these, these different sort of, these different stories that came from the Age of Enlightenment, um, Voltaire, and um, it, so they all sort of, they pose these, like, moralistic questions as well. Yeah, and, like, horror was, was like, real big also, and we talked about in our, our horror stories and, like, horror novels or whatever, right? Yes, um, horror and sci-fi were, like, BFFs. L- yeah. FLs. Because what's scarier than technological progress? technological failure monsters (laughs) um yeah so so yeah after mary shelley like who are some some big name i guess like 17th 19th or 17th 18th or 19th century writers um i'm just pulling up you pulling up your notes yes let's see let me go back a little bit more. Okay. I, I mean, had I think Jules Verne was like yeah, not that Jules long Verne after. was right around there. Okay, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> oh, you got your notes. Yes, I have. I have. I don't have my notes. I have like someone else's. I I'm wish sorry. I had my notes. Okay, but yeah, uh, Jules Verne. I see him on there. Is eighteen fifty one? Any first book he or story that he published was a uh, voyage in a balloon, which is way less interesting sounding than you know. <laughs> Just voyage in a balloon. It's less it's interesting exactly, than twenty thousand uh, leagues under the exactly sea. Not exactly alien versus predator, I guess. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> oh, you're saying yeah. He just writes about journeys in different ways. Yeah, right? he's like one time a guy went in a balloon, and then another time, 
they went from Earth to the moon, and then they went to the sea. Um, Jules Verne had a lot of, also a lot of physical issues. A lot of these Victorian people were, like, very sickly. Um, Victorians are a noted yeah, sickly Yeah, they were bunch. pale. Yeah. They got the heroin chic thing going on. Um, pale, they wear all that clothes. Yeah. Constantly dying. Corsets. They're, like, they cough. fainting. Yeah. Much like today. <laughs> <laughs> Much like hipsters. Yeah. Yes. So, Jules... Jules Verne, he wanted to, to sail, and uh, his father said, no, you can only sail in your mind, so he did. To the moon, of all places. To the moon, but then also the the uh, leagues, 20,000 leagues under the sea. So we will, I'll call it here, even science fiction, we might as well preface this to begin with, is that science fiction is routinely criticized as a genre, although it's like less and less true these days, um, because a lot of science fiction writers were like pulp writers when it got very popular. Ooh, that's like of, that's like a hundred years later. No, no, we'll, we'll, okay. I'll say, but that 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 was a critique, and then also because science fiction novels tend to be novels of I- ideas, right, or of action. Lots of stuff is happening, and so <laughs> roundly criticized for character, like not doing character or, or like setting development. And I think Jules Verne, like, he had very nice like. If, if you've read, like, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, it's, like, great, like, technological descriptions of the submarine is, and stuff. Is that where Finding Nemo comes from? Is that where Nemo's... Captain Nemo? Is Yeah, is that the fish? Yeah. Is, is he named Nemo after that? I believe the name that? Nemo is after the yeah. captain of the Nautilus, which is the ship in 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. By the way, a league is... A measurement. It's a measurement that's, like, similar mm-hmm. to a, a nautical mile. But, so if you go... They're not 20,000 Leagues Down... They go 20,000 leagues of distance. They're already under the sea. Yeah. Just, they, no one knows how down they but go. They like, just go over. If you, if you like, read the definition for how far a league is, you're like, no one could go that deep. The is, ocean's not, like, that deep. Is the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, is that, like, that many gentlemen's long? It's a different kind of league. Um, like the Justice League. Yeah. Is that where it comes from? Like a bowling league. No, they're different. Is a bowling alley? A league is like a, a, imp- a British measurement of distance. Well, not <laughs> anymore, but it was. It's like a fort. Not anymore. No one no one can talk of it. No one may speak of it. Um, but yeah, that's because they go around the world in the in the submarine um, and have lots of adventures. But uh, Jules Verne wrote very much like a Victorian. So when you read his novels, you're just like, it's very stiff, kind of not well-rounded characters, and they're all Victorian, and there still is like a lot of like, I was mute with shock. And you're like, you weren't yelling because you were like scared. It's well, because, like, oh, always like, because they all had these like, they were, they all had these like uh, diseases where they would like get paralyzed and he had stomach cramps. So he probably, when he got scared, he probably just like fainted. And that's actually what was happening, you know? Maybe. Yeah, the Victorians just constantly just, just jaws dropped looking stupid. They just died. <laughs> They, they were constantly dying and coming back to life. Um, but yeah, really, both fun novels. And, and it, it's very cool to read old science fiction because you get to see their speculative like idea of what the future would be, right? So like Jules Verne writing about, uh, I forget how the Nautilus supposedly worked, but I, I, it was more or less like would have to be a nuclear-powered submarine. But this was in 1850, like before it yeah. even existed. Like. Um, or like writing about rockets between Earth and the Moon, for example, it's, like before rocket travel was even a thing. It worked like a bicycle. You had to pedal. It was yeah, it's like a Victorian bicycle, bicycle. like it was a tandem bicycle. Yeah. Yeah. 
another author from around around this time is H.G. Wells. I guess he's the next, the next big, the next big boy in this list. Sorry, not to interrupt, but yeah. an Nautical League is three and a half miles. Wow. So okay. 20,000 leagues is 60,000 miles. So there's no way that's like more than the diameter of the Earth. So it had its distance. Okay. You love, yeah, wires. I don't sh- want people to think <laughs> that they were like insanely deep. What? <laughs> what? Wires of NYC famously loves measuring things. So I think a lot of listeners of this podcast are big fans of the, the measurement conversion that we both. You <laughs> should be called Miles of NYC. Mm, nice. <laughs> Okay, um, so then we have... You want to talk about H.G. Wells? The yeah. Time Machine. The Time Machine. The Eels and the Morlocks. In 1895. Um, also the island of Dr. Moreau. And in 1898, War of the Worlds. Yeah. Right? Like, do you... Have you read War of the Worlds? Yes. So, like... If and you, the broadcast, too, the radio yeah, broadcast. You listen to the radio broadcast. Yes. In middle school, we had to do our own radio Foley plays. So we listened to that broadcast, and then we had to go out in the hallway and do our own uh, dramatic readings with, like, Foley and stuff of a short story of our choice. A Foley. You know, like sound effects. Oh, okay. Like, I don't um, know that's what Foley meant. Yeah, like... Nice. <laughs> That's guns. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, my horse is here. <laughs> You're breaking up. Oh, no, there's aliens. Yeah, <laughs> I want to <exactly>. die. <laughs> oh, <laughs> let us in. Let us in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's full. Okay, nice. So, um, so, wait, let's explain just in case. Not. Oh, yeah, people the, don't know. It's how they think we're having about. seizures so, right now. Uh, yeah, right. Uh, Right, War of the Worlds, the like novel, and H.G. Wells wrote all these novels. And I was gonna say, War of the Worlds. Can you name any of the characters from it? No. No, because like H.G. Wells didn't write memorable characters <laughs> either. I guess Doctor Moreau, because his name's in the in title. In the title, of the book. yeah. But that book too is like I do not remember the narrator's name. Uh, it's just about a mad doctor who does vivisection and like puts a bunch of <laughs> animal and human parts together to create creatures on this island. Um, yeah. But H. same G. thing in the time machine. Yeah. yeah. H.G. Wells, H. H. Wells and H.P. Lovecraft, both kind of uh, racist. <laughs> I was just thinking of the, the animals that he put together. Um, like the, the uh, they, they both kind of, well, more Lovecraft, but H.G. H. Wells was like. Lovecraft's super racist. Super racist. H.G. Wells was a bit of, he was a socialist, but he was also very much against um zionism and he had and yeah so he he didn't like like, uh he didn't like sabra (laughs) let's just put it that way anti-semite yeah which is like was the probably the fashion at the time (laughs) the fashion yeah uh he yeah he also he was he was he was kind of like they were all kind of like forward just for like he was i think one of the first of these authors that was very po- politically, like, active, or so- socio-politically active as well, which became a theme later on, but he was, like, one of the first. Well, and, yeah, and the, the time machine, right, to 
not no spoilers here, but the overall plot is no spoil. It's not a. You think it would be like cool time travel stuff. It actually is just a fantasy novel. So the guy like does build a time machine, and he like zips around through time a little bit, but then he goes to the far future, and he gets stuck. And he discovers that in the far future, the Earth is populated by, like, two classes of, like, humanoid, like, race or whatever. And there's the Eloy, who are, like, beautiful, fair, they're just pretty Victorians, basically, um, who live in, like, temples and, like, food is brought to them. And then the Morlocks, who are, like, these subterranean, like, worker creatures, who I think in the movie are basically, like, apes. Uh, And every now and then the, the Morlocks will, like, kidnap an Eloy and eat them, I think. Yeah. Um, so the Eloy, it turns out, are pretty much livestock. And that's like the horrible reveal, which I'm sure left the Victorians totally stunned and grossed out. Or um, they, they love that shit that they probably put on a Christmas card. That's true. It doesn't pack as much of a punch now. But uh, yeah, the whole thing was just a, a metaphor for like, I guess, socialism or I guess like, a, you know, we're class in like the, I don't even know. I don't really get oh, know he was, what the idea he was. He was a member of the Fabian Society. Were they the aristocrats? Were the Eloy the aristocrats? I'm I'm looking. I'm <laughs> What's looking. What's the Fabian the, Society? What is that? The mean? Fa- oh, the, the, so there's like a political, like this is his political, um, I guess What's legacy. The, yeah. So oh, Winston Churchill. W- yeah, really liked his his books and, um, so the prime, the prime minister uses the phrase "gathering storm" to. The gathering storm to describe the rise of Nazi Germany had it had been written by Wells in War of the Worlds. Nice. All right. Yeah. So yeah, H. G. Wells. I guess. Well, if you knew Winston Churchill and was friends with them, and yeah, and uh, I think Lenin too. He he met up with. Yeah, this is the same with all of these writers too. Um, I think back then because there wasn't the internet, um, there was like. You would be a novelist, but also you would make quite a lot of your living as a writer writing for like serialized. You would serialize your novels. They would come out in like journals uh, or like, you know, later in pulp magazines. Um, But like there's no TV. Right. So getting your subscription to Amazing Tales or whatever, like was like getting a new episode. Didn't happen yet. It almost happened, but not yet. Amazing Tales was later. It's a teeny, teensy bit. Well, I think it overlaps, but let's. Was War of the Worlds published as a novel? Did Did you? Find that out. If or? yeah, okay. war. Um, so it, in nineteen thirty eight, there is a radio drama, the Mercury Theater. Um, they had Orson, Orson. Well, a lot of Wells, a lot of Wells, and a lot of people with H and initials. So the book has already been out for like thirty five yeah. years, you know. But then, yeah, Orson Wells and his his theater group do a radio play of it. Yeah, and they. They um, were told that it would be really boring. They were told that it would be super boring. Everyone would tune out. But they, they wanted to do something a little spooky. It was the day before. I think it was the day before Halloween. Sounds right. Um, and they actually say in the beginning that it's going. They're like, this is a radio play. It's not real. But no, but you couldn't go backward. You know, you didn't, there was no like backwards thingy. So like, I guess if you tuned in a little bit late, you missed that. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I guess they didn't break for commercials. They didn't break for commercials. It was 40 minutes. So which also made it, you know, because if it had been 30 minutes, 
Mm-hmm. There would have been a commercial after that, and they'd be like, okay, and bring you back to reality. But it was 40 minutes, so it like ran over a little bit of a normal program. So that especially freaks people out. <laughs> I love that um, it, yeah, basically, in they said that in Grover's Mill, New Jersey, there was a UFO, and it interrupted, um, like, this, I think it was like an opera music program so they started with like a regular program and they were like wait it's breaking news and they if you listen to it they actually have the news reporter you yeah know, they're like we're going live to the scene we're yeah like with our reporter and then there's yeah and um the reporter is makes it very believable and they're like oh can you repeat yourself and the and the the actor you know they they do they go oh okay and they were like repeat themselves again so it it has the feel it feels very real it felt very real Apparently, there was a lot of people freaked out, but later on, like now, we think that people didn't freak out that much. They freaked out a little bit, but they didn't like kill themselves. Like at the time, uh, I forget who it was. Someone came out with this. They went. They went to New Jersey, which already step one. You know, you can't trust anyone from New Jersey. They went to New Jersey and they were like, "Were you scared by this?" And if the people said yes, they're like part of my clinical study. Oh, uh, so they think it wasn't actually... Uh, as freaky as it... Like, people were freaked, but they weren't, like, freaked. Uh. To be fair, <laughs> the, the way they presented it, if you read, like, the summary or go back and listen to it, is they did a very cool thing for, like, the radio drama, which nobody had done in a radio drama. Like, radio dramas before them were, like, people talking and the noises and the horses and whatever else. But they did it as if it was a as you said, like an opera broadcast that's interrupted. They go to the scene and the reporter gets killed by the aliens. They cut to another reporter who's in New York City and they have like air raid sirens going and people running and yelling in the background. And that reporter says that there's like poison gas coming. They start coughing and go (coughs) silent. And like, I suppose listening to it, then you'd be like, yeah, and like the panic in their voices and they were like good actors, I suppose. And all the radio was like shitty. So it was like extra staticky, which is like already creepy, but it's just like regular radio. And then it cuts to like, I think a a woman like in the radio station screaming like, is there anyone out there? Like, somebody please help me. Like, Yeah, that's the famous. They're like, is there anybody? Yeah. So good for them. That's how you do some drama. Is there anyone? Yeah. Um, So... A lot of people think that the reported freak outageness <laughs> it was kind of a uh, uh, dig at radio because people were afraid that radio would take over newspapers. And so newspapers reported, they were like, the radio's actually killing people because people killed themselves over this broadcast. Uh. So isn't it? Isn't it funny? It's like, it's like life imitating fiction, imita- creating life imitating fiction. Because it's like, isn't that another commentary on technology? The way that the newspaper dealt with the new technology. Yeah, it's, don't we don't have to be too cute about it. It's, I'm, it's I'm being. <laughs> okay. If I said it in a British, not to let but you what down, if, but but what if I'm a not newspaper write a sociology article around talked about, about people have that's why I'm you know bringing it up anyway. H. G. Wells. <laughs> well, so now you've jumped ahead though because H. G. Wells published in the 
the late 1800s, but this radio play was in the 1930s. Yes. Yeah, so we'll go. We'll go back to which is finally. Finally, we can talk when about the whole magazine took oh. off and a lot of the writers who I read. Yes, 1911, Hugo Gernsback publishes. So, do you the, know what the yearly like award for best science fiction novel? The Hugo is Awards. Yeah, and it's named for Hugo Gernsback. Yeah, who is kind of like a schmuck, to be honest. Like when I read about, he was kind of he he was like, oh, you can uh, print really cheap, cheap, cheap magazines. And people will buy the fuck out of them, and you can make a lot of money. And to be to be fair, he was probably the original podcaster, kind of. <laughs> it's a very yeah. cheap media format to produce. Yeah, yeah. He also, but he actually he did. He wanted people to learn science through cute little stories. So if you wrote long meandering. Um, like you indulged the science of the time in your story, Hugo would be more likely to publish your story. And you also got, as a writer, got paid by the word. So there was incentive to write. Exactly. Um, The classic art of the pulp magazines. (laughs) These, you know, the, the like alien... I feel like I'm trying to describe it. It's like King Kong, but like replace King Kong with like an alien. Yeah, like holding a babe. That kind of fantasy sci-fi art. Hugo would do the art and then sometimes he didn't have stories to go with it. Forbidden Planet, I think, is yes. the, the quintessential. Although the movie came out, geez, I think in the 60s, maybe the 50s. I think the 50s. But Forbidden Planet would be the quintessential like giant like robot beast creature on Mars holding a babe. Yes. So we have a picture kind of like that mm-hmm. on our way back in the archives. Yeah, it's that's quintessential pulp sci-fi cover. Yeah, we're just, like looking wantonly at the camera. Cue, yeah, cue the the sort of like a uh, cyberpunk music. So Hugo would would draw these covers, and he didn't have stories to go with them, so he would hold. Contest. He was like, who can write a story about this? And people did. And I actually have a couple of the covers if you want to come up with names okay. for them. If you, By the way, famously, uh, they paid like very little compared to other publications for like Amazing Tales or whatever. Um, and so It's called Amazing Stories. Oh, Amazing Stories. Amazing Tales was like the ripoff one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Amazing Stories paid very little. And so Hugo Gernsback... Uh, it was H.P. Lovecraft and also some other pulp writer, too. Uh, they referred to him as Hugo the Rat. And the writers, <laughs> Mark the Shark. <laughs> the writers hated him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, like, you would settle for, if you couldn't get a better journal uh, to, like, pick up your story, you would settle I, for calling them stories. journals. A better pulp mag. Yeah, a better pulp mag. So there's stories of H.P. Uh, Lovecraft trying to, like, like, sell his stories to like anyone else and then like he he fails and ends up having to like settle for amazing stories well each before we because we'll talk about hp lovecraft in a moment can i like pull up these covers and we come up with some Mm -hmm. um okay so let me see oh yeah here we go so we'll they're super colorful oh my gosh why are you okay here we go 
So we'll describe this one. It has, uh, there's two men that like, look, have really large foreheads. Wait, let's set it. It's the August 26th. I'll show it for the. Sorry, August 1926. Amazing, amazing stories. Amazing has a huge A and it's got like kind of 3D it's letters. It's like amazing. They're overlapped. That like yeah. A, like a 12 year old and be like, yo, this is dope fonting. Um, and then it was, it was 25 cents. And there's this, there's like a little head. There's a blue little head on a table with tubes and like some, some, some other tubes with like glow. They look like globes. And then there's these two men with like really big foreheads. And one of them looks like he has a stethoscope to the head, to the. They're both horrified by the head. So they both are looking at it with but, disgust. But one of them is like creepy disgust and the other one is like interested disgust. And then it says in the corner actually stories by H.G. Wells. So what would the name of this story be? Oh my god. Two men, <laughs> one head? That's <laughs> the gross. Two men, one head. That's my uh, Yeah. That's my title of it. Horrifying heads. And the four, the four heads and four heads and five heads. Because mm -hmm. these men have really big foreheads. I don't know if it's because their brains are going to explode. I think it was a mark of intelligence at the time. That's really, it's, you, we expected our scientists. To oh my God, this one looks so good. Okay, this is really, wow, 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 wow. Uh, so there's a you robot. You can show it. That, It's yeah. a bright red background. Again, the cool fonting, cool 3D uh, block letters yeah <laughs> um there's a robot and it's it's holding a lion's mouth open yeah it's and... wearing a loincloth as well it's wearing yeah. like an animal skin loincloth which why you don't need to dress your android but someone has yeah and it's holding open the jaws of a lion yeah and then there's like a crowd of people running like rushing the stadium that it's that he's in mm -hmm. Yeah. So what would you call this, this story? Is, this is October 1928. Again, 25 cents. And it says right in the middle, by the way, Amazing Stories was published in Manhattan. Uh, yeah. WRNY, okay. too. I guess they had a radio All station, right. too. What, uh, what would you call oh, this one? The Iron Gladiator. Oh, yeah. That's a, that's a good. Yeah. I think that's, that's good. <laughs> okay, I'm happy great. with that. Uh, um, let's. Let's see. Oh, this one. What happened? Does it change when you get to the 30s, by the way? Or just kept when, it, when there's a different... Well, that, because then there starts to come out other stories, other other pulp magazines, like astounding stories. Um, because the... Right, the Great Depression happened. 1929. Yes. It was like... In Wonder Stories. Black Friday. But it's kind of amazing that then they... It's amazing. They just kept publishing these. It's an amazing story. They kept coming and then out. Scoops. Yeah, there's Wonder Stories. Oh, Wonder Stories got cheap. Wonder Stories is 15 cents. And Astounding Stories oh. is 20 cents. Yeah, Great Depression. They had to lower their prices probably so people could afford them. Yeah. Ooh, this one's kind of sec. Ooh, first Jurassic Park looking one. So this is a... <laughs> Thrilling Wonder Stories. Thrilling Wonder Stories. <laughs> Oh my god, they ran out of so good. Oh, uh, yeah, here we go. Wonder Stories. So it's it says cash 15 cents cash prizes for the best short story written around this picture. So this was the original like in the um in New York 
New Yorker magazine, they have the comics in the back and they're like, caption this. This is the original. This is really yeah. a short story. Yeah. So there are two dinosaurs fighting each other. <laughs> one of them's like biting the other one's like chest and the other one looks shocked. Like the other dinosaur is like, is like, how dare you? And yeah. And then there's like some gladiators. There's, like, Apollo and, like, the 300 dude inside of a little bubble. There's three so time, time travelers. Traveling. There's a Spanish conquistador, what looks like a Roman centurion, and then I can't tell. The other guy, I don't a Greek know, god. like a Greek yeah. god or something. But they're in a little bubble. And they're, like... Watching the... They're, like, by Jove! <laughs> I can't believe my eyes. Yeah. I like in the corner it says, a thrilling publication. <laughs> yeah. This looks thrilling. It looks like a tabloid, yeah. right? With all with the different like now it's got the different like headings around like the sides of it. It looks like a modern magazine design, actually. Yeah. Well, what would you what would you call this one? Well, I did the a, last one. You go. A a wrinkle in dine, because dinosaurs. It's the dino the dinosaur traveler's <laughs> wife. Boo. Oh, because they're time yeah, because they're time travelers. Because these <laughs> these dinosaurs are getting wrinkled, like they're eating. Let each me other. out of this bubble. I want to pet that dino. Yeah. All right. We'll do one more with this one. This is in the Fantastic Adventures. Good. I was hoping we would get to. That's my favorite of the. Yeah, this is your quintessential. Yeah, this one's also twenty cents. This has a babe. Has a babe on the cover. She's in distress. There's a giant spider. spider. <laughs> yeah. There's a spider. There's a spider that's coming up to her. She has a gun or no, she's like a, yeah, she's some kind of gun. She has like an oboe. Yeah, but it clearly <laughs> didn't sort of work because she is passed the fuck out. And then there's this Don Draper dude that's like shooting the spider in its With eye. a ray gun. Yeah. He's shooting the spider in the And face. the spider's like, you. The spider's like poking the girl's boob too which i love so this is the prince of mars returns by philip nolan author of buck rogers is the spider the prince of mars i think this the prince of mars is the guy with the gun he's the <laughs> prince of mars what an awesome name you're like i'm the prince of mars <laughs> oh this isn't that's not what it was that was the title of that was called terminites invade new york oh see page eight okay yeah. so was this that was like the first tabloid maybe like the first yeah, star inquirer called Spider. I hardly know her. <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one. So, right, so we're up to all the all the pulps are happening. Sci-fi is widely discredited as a serious literary genre. Yes, but uh, there are still a, a number of like, um, I don't even know. I guess like groundbreaking or like still like well well regarded like authors who were writing around this time. Um, yeah. But it was very hard, I think, to make a living just as an author in general. Uh, well, I think the especially as a science fiction Great writer. Depression actually helped the these pulp magazines because they were very cheap to make. And people were still buying them because they wanted to fantasize. And there was tons of commentary you could do about war and, like, the innovations that were happening. Yeah. yeah. This, so, wait, by the way, if we can say 1929, which is the year Great Depression started, is Buck Rogers Buck Rogers started its publication as a comics trip. And that is 
you know Calvin and Hobbes, Spaceman mm-hmm. Spiff? That is Buck Rogers. Oh, yeah. And so it's like an astronaut having these adventures on another planet. That's 1929 is the year Hugo Gernsbach coins the term science fiction. Before that, it was just fiction. Um, or fantasy. Or, they, or reality. They just didn't call it. They didn't have a genre for it, I guess. Um, they were and, amazing stories. Oh, and yeah. And then around that time, Fritz Lang uh, directed, produced, I guess, Metropolis, right? Which I think is the first science fiction movie. Really? Really? Maybe it is. I don't know of an earlier one. It's it's black and white. Yeah, ni- I'm looking, 1926 I have... Metropolis came out. Sorry. Um, yeah, and then you can see in 1930, astounding science fiction, science wonder stories, air wonder stories, wonder stories, astounding stories of super science, they all come into publication. So. So a bunch of copycats. Yeah, and I think it's because Hugo, a lot, of, yeah, because a lot of people didn't like writing for Hugo. This reminds so. me of the, yeah, this, this is what happened with, like, early video game systems, right? Remember, like, the video game crash of, like, 79. Yep. And 82. And yeah. Else. Just, there were a bunch of copycats who, like, made even crappier versions of a thing that already wasn't necessarily widely respected. And then in 1932, Aldous Huxley publishes Brave New World. So and just... Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde is made into a film. Yeah. So maybe we'll talk about Huxley. Yes. Yeah. You you want to talk about Huxley? Yeah. I mean, I think Brave New World is, like, kind of super highly regarded. It's, like, one of the probably, like, top ten, like, sci-fi novels everyone needs to read. Um, it's a sad story uh, in general and that it's, right, it's set in this uh, future, seems like utopia, but it's actually a dystopia surprise. <gasps> That's often how dystopias begin. Um, but it, it created a number of like, I guess, cultural touchstones that you've probably heard of. So the there's a drug called Soma that like mm-hmm. everybody takes to, that sounds like a pretty good drug. It just calms you down. Um, yep. I think. It's like um, uh, It's basically a Xanax. <laughs> yeah. But it's called Zany Soma. Zany bars. Um, and uh, yeah, it's uh, everybody is basically a genetic engineering has reached like its peak it's it's i think it inspired gattaca a lot actually Mm -hmm. genetic engineering has reached its peak and every baby is created or born for a specific purpose and career and so they even like will uh like cause brain damage to some of the embryos who are going to just be like garbage men or whatever so they'll like more readily accept like a a bad job you don't get to choose. Oh. You're like born for it and they make you dumb so that you'll be like good at like manual labor. Oh, garbage men are like um, very, it's very difficult to be It actually a is man. a difficult job. Um, it's their know. New York's bravest, did you know? Or New York's... Look, I didn't write the book. I'm just telling you about the plot of Brave New World. There is, and there's the alphas uh, who are like, right, the gammas are like the laborers, like the proletariat. Yeah. And there's the alphas. It's very much a commentary on capitalism as well and class structures and... Uh, but there's an alpha who doesn't fit in. He's like, for whatever reason, he's not as handsome or as cool as the other alphas. He's a beta. So he's very self-conscious. This is actually where the terms like alpha and beta, I mean, it probably comes from somewhere else, but that's, it's very explicit as so much science fiction is. Yeah. It's heavy handed. Um, but anyway, the, a bunch of stuff happens. Uh, there's, there are a number of references to Shakespeare in it too. The, the writing isn't half bad. It's okay. It's got a total cop out of an ending, which is very frustrating and annoying to read. 
Um, but yeah, cool book. Mm. And uh, I think it was was it was it Heinlein or Huxley or both of them who experimented with like psychedelics. Uh, it was Huxley. It was mostly Huxley. Okay. Yeah. So so Huxley wrote. He was doing a little soma of him. Did he write own. the Doors of Perception? I don't know. You're asking okay. me. Qu- I didn't go to college. All right. Huxley was very into uh, drugs, psychedelic drugs. Um, yeah. But that was later. That was like in the '60s. But so like it, he was older and like I guess respected as a a pundit or whatever, public intellectual, uh, and was very in favor of. He actually took using acid very seriously. He, back going back to our drugs episode, he was a. Uh, he didn't like Timothy Leary, who thought that everybody should get a dose of LSD as soon as possible. He thought that it should be, like, carefully, like, given just out like to people. Just like his books. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just like in his books. He's Probably. Like, yeah. Oh, and we kind of, we said that we were going to talk about uh, Lovecraft, who's, like, yeah. your favorite, right? You love Lovecraft. No. You love him. No, I do not love Lovecraft. He's your best friend. He's... Man, he's not a he is a pulpy writer. He's not a not a good writer and then the yeah, was a was super racist. Um which yeah, at the time everyone was just like, Oh, this is you know, just Lovecraft, he's racist. He's from New England. He's from like Amherst, Massachusetts. Oh, and everyone's racist there. Family was like inbred too, which caused a lot of issues for him. He was very sickly. His his father died shortly after he was born. Which like drove his family into poverty, um, and so he was born into like a wealthy family living in like a a big like house like old money in Massachusetts. His father died. His mom had to sell the house. She was super overprotective of him growing up. He was like a definitely like a weird sickly kid. He was a um he was a uh, Anthony Perkins basically. Yeah, he lived with his like, mother like into his twenties. Um. Yeah, started writing, but he wrote like just like a total asshole. Like his, he wrote his tons of letters too. His father had syphilis. Too. That's oh. yeah. Well then, um, yeah. And with, his his mother, like that's the thing. His mother was like traced back to like the Pilgrims, basically, but that but like a product of like major inbreeding. Like she, like just like sister wives and brother husbands. Yeah. And so she went. His mother like definitely had dementia and also so like even by his 20s she would like sometimes get lost like downtown and stuff and like which is like sad um, yeah sad not to excuse him being super racist but he like was he was very much an aristocrat a lot of like a lot of other sci-fi writers were like what the fuck is with this guy lovecraft because he also like got a, a job as an editor and like uh for some like major like magazine and he insisted that everybody needed to write in Old English or like yeah. a very like ancient style. And he was like, how dare you put Americanisms and slang yeah. into your writing. So he, <laughs> you slag! But his, yeah. So you read his writing and it sounds, yeah, for a guy writing in the 20s and 30s, it's like very stilted and like awkward writing. Yeah. He itself. also, though, he loved, yeah. he was a shady bitch and he loved to write he loved to write like shady letters, and that's actually how he got a lot of his jobs. Cause he, yeah, he wrote all these like shady, shady letters, like trashing all the pulp magazines. Like he was like, "Your magazine is trash. I would never read it, and I'm going to send you five stories, and you should never read my stories because they're well beyond 
the scope of your small brain. Reverse psychology wasn't well understood. But at I the think time. he was sincere, <laughs> though. I think he was just like a crazy, like. I think him and Emily Dickinson would have like really vibed together. Oh, thanks, Gaslamp01, for subscribing. Oh, thank Twitch. you. Woo! Can we do like a firework or like a part, like a emoji for them? <laughs> Yeah, I'll send them. They get they get custom secret loft emojis now. Yeah, send. Ooh, yeah, woohoo! Um, send that out there. Yeah, yeah. So he was he, uh, Lovecraft was like a super super shady bitch, and I think he would. Yeah, him and Emily Dickinson, they were both like recluses, and they both love to write letters. I think they should hook up. I I will say Lovecraft. He also like he didn't live that long. He, I think he died in his like late forties. Uh, because he was just sick as hell. He married a he Jewish woman. He was sick. Wo- he married a he Jewish woman. He did marry woman. a Jewish. That's why he died. Um, but he, <laughs> he believed like... he believed she was well assimilated, which is funny. He lived in Red Hook. Uh, he he moved to after he met her and they got married. He moved in with her. They lived on Flatbush Avenue in Brooklyn. Yeah. And then they moved to Red Hook. Uh, she got a job in Cincinnati and had to I guess move her work or like I don't know maybe he was a downer. I'm not sure. No, he gained weight. He was like not he as gained... sickly. Yeah, because she, she was cooked. a good cook. Um, but then he had like a bad time in Red Hook. So like, I because remember... there are Jew like there's a quotation where he's like, "There's too many damn Jews." Yeah, <laughs> but I'm like, dude, you're married to one. Like, shut up. No, somebody <laughs> broke into his Red Hook apartment and stole all of his clothes. The and real world. This is before mass produced textiles, so he was left with only the clothes, literally only the clothes, clothes on, on his, his back. back. Um, so he had. He had tough times uh, living in New York, but I, a lot of his stories, his existential horror, um, I think is he really was that scared of a lot of things in his own life. None of this yeah. to excuse it, but I think that's actually where a lot of his, like, I don't know, ideas or pathos came from. This whole, like, Cthulhu, cosmic existential horror. Also, he loved Poe. Yes. And He's there's a, a ton of Poe in his writing. Poe is a much better writer. Yeah. But, uh, he did love Poe. He apparently hated the cold. And so a number of his stories are set in, like his probably most famous story, The, the Mountains of Madness, is set in Antarctica. Yeah. Because he hated the, the mere concept of like, Antarctica, like, freaked him out. Which, I mean, same. Mm-hmm. That is horrifying. He also, what I do like about him is that he did share. He did share his monsters he would often write to other sci-fi authors and he was like yo you should borrow my monster because like your story needs like a good monster which i like that he's like use my trope yeah which is so rare today and so he he does the reason he is still known why we're even talking about this like admittedly like not particularly great very wordy uh prolix if you will writer uh is because the the like like idea of cosmic horror of like the the old gods or like the ancient ones Prometheus. or like a monster that is like kind of and like that inspired a lot of like sort of like godzilla monsters the scale of which uh, is that a joke the scale to. yeah godzilla the scale get it scales no. but anyway cool concept who's describe cthulhu real quick yeah cthulhu looks like a he's he's it's kind of like Godzilla, but if he had a squid's head. <gasps> so he has tentacles on his head. Ooh, it's like Zentai, Zentai porn. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. A number of his characters, a trope he did a lot is you would, there were things so horrifying that a character would look at them and immediately pass out or, <laughs> go, I love that. or go completely insane. 
was like that's like Medusa though, oh, right? Yeah. In the Mountains it? of Madness, there's like there's two men in like a plane and one's flying, so he can't look. But there's a grad student in the plane who looks out the window, and whatever he sees makes him go insane. <laughs> that's like, very um, that's it is very, very Medusa. Medusa, but it's also very Twilight Zone. Hmm. This. <laughs> The uh, hey Conrad, joining oh, us on IG. one one final excuse of for uh, I guess apology for I don't know we're not apology? apologizing for him. But, yeah, one final on. interesting factoid about Lovecraft is he actually reformed a lot after the Great Depression because he was poor as fuck. Like right after during yeah. the Depression, and he genuinely believed that uh, because of like noblesse oblige and like aristocrats and like pure New England, like, blood or whatever, that, like, the Great Depression would be solved by, like, Rockefeller and, you know, J.P. Morgan and whoever else, like, would would donate their money and, like, fix the economy. And, of course, they, like, didn't fucking do anything. Um, so he, like, lost a lot of faith in the aristocracy and I think hopefully living in New York. Like, he wisened up a little bit. And so I think in, in his later years, he, he became, like, more tolerant. He, yeah, he died of cancer, and he was scared of doctors. Same. And he, uh, he was not examined until a mere month before his death. And he said that, but he did doc, he documented his illness until he was physically incapable of holding a pen. He also called his illness the grip. G-R-I-P-P. The grip. Oh, what a... Yeah, what a sort of an aristocratic dandy asshole. But what a guy. And then <laughs> on his tombstone, out. there's a quotation from one. Oh, because he has so many letters that are just like salacious, I guess. And on his tombstone, it says, I am Providence, which super gay, which I love. <laughs> right? Because like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm like, like sort of yes, there you go. In his in his death, he's like the, in the Providence. The New England town most known for, yeah, gay tourism. Yeah, he's just wearing a bunch of beads and he's like yeah. clacking his fan. <laughs> he's like, fuck you, Cthulhu. <laughs> yeah. So there's there's Lovecraft. Oh, we'll, we'll shout out to the... I forget the author of the book, but Lovecraft Country, which was an HBO series that came out yeah. last year. Um, that was but like what if? Critically well regarded, which was. <laughs> but what if uh, us? <laughs> yeah, what if us took place in New England? What if <laughs> us and, and H.P. Lovecraft had a baby? But it has some cosmic horror elements. Supposedly, yeah, some of the stuff is like more clever than others, but but then relating it to real things that happened during the 1950s and, like, racism. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I don't know. It's probably, it's worth a watch. We haven't watched it. I haven't watched it. I don't know about you, but... I secretly watched it. What, you secretly watched it? In the night. Um, the, the book got better reviews. The book was really was like well reviewed, which is why it got made into a show. And the show they they tried to bring in even more uh I guess like not even contemporary like historical references, like the lynching of Emmett Till. Yes. And the uh was it the Kansas City bombing? Not Kansas City, but nineteen twenty one, the Tulsa, Tulsa race massacre or whatever. Um the Tulsa race riots. Yes. They just that's like that shows up in it because like they 
But to like get that into the plot, they have to do a time travel thing. And so do a time travel thing. Just do a little time travel thing. Yeah. Okay. So then we yeah. have we have Heinlein. So let's maybe we'll do the big three, as they're known. Who are all together? So there's a someone likes that on Instagram. Those we talk about Heinlein, yeah. I guess. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So. We will. We will do Heinlein. Heinlein. Um. Yeah. Isaac Asimov. Yes. Um, Who Anne? I think Anne of Chelsea is going to be like. I know his relative. Oh, Arthur C. Clarke. Mm-hmm. And uh, who's the third of the big three? Is it Bradbury? Yeah. I think. Yeah. Let's see. Yeah, he's a good one. He's a good one. He's a good one. Okay. Well, sure. Um. Yeah. So you want to talk about? I mean, I know the most about Asimov. Talk about Asimov. I'll talk about Arthur C. Clarke. Okay, good. And Stanley Kubrick. Wait, what? Huh? What? They wrote 2001 Space Odyssey. Oh, okay. It was like, yeah. uh, Asimov wrote, is famous, he's famous for all his stuff about robots and like the the rules of robots, basically. Do you know the three rules? It's, they're so annoying because they're, (laughs) they're, it's like, it's like they must, they must not, um, I don't know. Do you know them off the top of your head? They're like, yeah, it's very important that they're in like In order. order. That's why I was like, I'm going to fuck up the so order. Like, and rule I don't number one is you can't harm humans. <gasps> okay. Um, rule number two. I forget rule number two. I think it's you have to do what you're told unless it involves harming a human. Yeah. And then I forget rule number three. Is that like you shouldn't hurt any other robots unless you have to hurt other robots? That's so why they're like annoying. The yeah, two. it's like... You shouldn't. Are you looking it up? Yeah, I am. By the way, robot the, rules. But the if Asimov came up with the three rules, they're best personified by Philip K. Dick in "Do Android Dream of Electric Sheep," which Blade became Runner? Blade Runner. Um, Do they? Do we ever find out if they? Well, the robots uh, or androids basically like okay. their programming breaks and they get around the three rules. I have the rules. All right, ready? Robot may not injure a human being. Mm-hmm. Oh, whoa. Okay. Uh, my my robot's injuring me right now by taking this away from me. Okay. A robot may, may not injure a human being through inaction, allow a human being to come to harm. A robot, to a robot must obey orders given it by human beings, except where such nice. orders would conflict with the first law. Pretty good. And then they have to protect their own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first and second law. And this is why I was like, oh, this is a catch-22 situation, because, right, obviously, do I have to explain that? No, that's why there's order between the laws. It's not a catch-22. They're, they're not explicitly not contradictory because there's an order of preference to them. Well, one of the reasons why he made these rules is so that they're in, the robots are interesting. It's because, you know, if, they, if they're if they too stupid, they're not going to be interesting. And if they're too smart, then I guess they can, like, figure out how to undo all the rules. No, I think so, I think Asimov actually was, was really interested in it from a both a sociological and really like a, an actual like kind of practical perspective. This is an example of like what we'd call hard science fiction, where he really did try to apply um, kind of like critical thinking and his knowledge of like how computers work. Yeah, he did have a good knowledge of how computers work too, because he 
went to school to be a, a biologist and he didn't like dissection. So he, yeah, he cut that out of the program. And then um, he took a bunch of science classes, I, I believe. Yeah. And studied, he studied a lot about like robotics and technology in, in school. I don't know if that's, yeah, if that's what his like end degree was in, but. Yes, so Asimov is an example, I would think, of uh, hard science fiction. And so hard, there's really in the, I guess, second half of the 20th century, this distinction between hard science fiction and, I guess, other science fiction. Um, there's There's no soft science fiction category. But writers like Asimov or Arthur C. Clarke, who either had an engineering background or like kind of met with or really thought through the, the like specifics of how a given technology would work. He was a bachelor of science. So uh, the, the three yeah. rules, I think he really did think about like, how would you program a robot so that it won't kill people? Oh yeah. And he's a, he's a doctor. He, oh, uh, he, he got a degree in chemistry and philosophy. Yeah. So he, yeah. he really did such, study such this. He also had a lot of like, weird coincidences in his life where yeah they no one like knows what his actual birth date was and his mom like lied to make his birth date to to like say that he was older to like get him in like school or something but then he rebelled and he says that it's the youngest of the birth dates because he's a vain bitch i don't know um but that actually allowed that like caused him to get drafted but then by accident, there was a he got like honorably discharged. Okay. Like it, it was like an accident or, or like a sort of coincidence that that was the birth date that they picked to put him in the drafting pool. But then there was a clerical error, and they were just like honorable discharge, like no explanation, mistake, and yeah. So these like little accidents kept happening. Um. He also, I mean, I guess I know more about his, like, his personal life, okay. I guess. He was, like, a, he was, he was poly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was a, he was into open marriages and, like, he was very progressive in that area. Also, he died of HIV or AIDS. I don't know if it, was, it had progressed, to, but it, uh, from a blood transfusion. But this was published after his death by by one of his one of his wives <laughs> spilled the tea so i think his most his most influential series which probably some of our listeners have read is the foundation series which it was three or four books i forget but it's a a very cool idea that kind of like under right it's set like in the super far future where humanity's colonized the whole milky way galaxy and uh it, he came up with the term, who knows if it will actually become a thing, uh, the, the field of psychohistory. Uh, and the idea is, and this is a very cool idea, is that, like, well, it's impossible to predict the history of, like, one planet. There's too many variables. But actually predicting the history of an entire, like, galaxy of, like, settled humans or whatever, because it's a large enough scale, it becomes predictable. And so uh, in this, like, very futuristic galaxy... 
there's like a massive rebellion, society collapses, and he basically has this like kind of scientist that, and it becomes like a plot point throughout the series who is like predicted basically what the next like couple thousand years history will be as society rebuilds itself. Oh, wow. It's pretty cool. Um, Yeah. And I think that's another example where he like clearly like went and thought very hard about what would happen, like, right, what would be the implication of having, like, a, a galaxy-wide, like, you know, civilization that then collapses into a dark age? Yeah. So, oh, yeah, and then um, iRobot, that was, like, that's where robot, the three, yeah, his robot stories. That's where the three laws come from. And the Will Smith movie. Yes. <laughs> iRobot. I was... I was just thinking of, there was that comedian who was, like, watching in Spanish. He was like, yo, robot, or something. Right. Yo, robot. Yo, robot. Yeah, that's why I was laughing about that. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, he also wrote, yeah, Bicentennial Man, which became, uh... Robin Williams, what up? Yeah. So he inspired, inspired a lot of, um... And probably the Spielberg movie AI, Yes. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Love that movie. Because it's my initials. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. It's about me. Artificial yeah. intelligence. Oh. <laughs> my album. <laughs> the title of my album. <laughs> so that's, that's Asimov of the big three. Uh, Arthur C. Clarke, famous for the 2001 Space Odyssey series. Which is... The there's, series? Yeah, there's four books in the series. <laughs> it's 2001. 2010. I oh, believe, twenty sixty one, and three thousand one. Wow! 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 Yeah. So it's uh, the the other books hold up. If you like two thousand one, you'd probably not the film. Film's very different than the book. The book tells you a lot more what's going on. Uh, Kubrick had his own like very cool interpretation of the book, uh, which is it is a great film. Kubrick but, uh, famous for making movies that are better than books. <laughs> Yeah. He's one of the few who can do it. Yeah. So although Kubrick and Arthur C. Clarke wrote the screenplay together for, uh, and uh, they wrote the movie while Arthur C. Clarke was writing the book. Oh, wow. Which is really interesting. Like so Game that, of Thrones. I think there was explicit, there was stuff where Kubrick explicitly was like, I'm not going to explain this in the movie, but I think people will get it. And like Arthur C. Clarke and Kubrick, I guess, liked and trusted each other enough that they let the film Parts of it are kind of a mystery where you really have to think about it or discuss it or read Wikipedia now to know, like, what was going on. Like, what was the monolith, etc. Arthur C. Clarke famously wrote a ton of short stories as well. And Clarke's World is one of the few pulp magazines left. I don't know if it's actually in print anymore, um, but that was, like, a great, like, monthly sci-fi story collection. Nice. Nice. And then who's the other one? Heinlein? Do you know anything about him? I don't know if... I actually got to look this up. I don't know if the big three is... I don't know if it's Highland or Bradbury. Because Bradbury was Fahrenheit 451. Yeah, I think I think that he came... Let's see a bit after. Though. Yeah, Heinlein. You're right. Yeah. So Heinlein wrote... Uh, yes, artificial intelligence. <laughs> the, the, the book that became Starship Troopers. Oh, cool. Is Robert Heinlein. Wow, um, so he's um, mediocre. Well, the <laughs> the movie Starship Troopers is great because it's a satire, right? Yeah. And when you realize it's a satire, it totally changes the but is the book feeling a and meaning of the movie. 
I don't. That's think so. why he mediocre. <laughs> he wrote a lot of uh, yeah, kind of like fascist, like futuristic societies, like the society in Starship yeah. Troopers, which is like right. That movie is very funny when you realize it's satire of this like fascist military culture yeah. that they're in, and yeah, and they got Neil Patrick Harris. Playing, MPH. like, the, the SS operative or whatever. So good. Who can, like, read the mind of the bugs and stuff. Yeah, that's... Read that, that movie is <laughs> fantastic. Yeah. Um, Heinlein, I think, also wrote Stranger in a Strange Land, which is a cool book about yeah. a guy from Mars. A guy who's... He's a human who's raised on Mars. Wow. It's like planet... It's like Tarzan. Well, he... <laughs> but Mars. Marzan. <laughs> Well, what's cool is the, right, Tarzan behaves like an ape. The Martians uh, move at, like, plant-like timescales. They move super slowly, and they're capable of, like, deep meditation. So this guy shows up, and he doesn't know how to walk, like, on Earth, but he's capable (laughs) of, like, telepathy because he can concentrate so so well. So he's on ketamine, basically. Basically, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But what if? What if you had a boy... Is raised by people on K. By people on K. On the planet Mars. Yeah. On Mars. So then we get into like it's the pretty great. We're getting into like the dystopian, the dystopian gritty dystopian time. Right, like. But what if? Oh, the seventies. Yeah, yeah, which is weird because it's like what a colorful time, but it's like, you know, everybody was like clockwork orange and like, you know, the commentaries on on like the man, I guess, like Big Brother and all that, all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, this is probably, I guess everybody's probably read a bunch of this stuff, so we'll just pick and choose a couple things to talk about because now there's like an yeah. explosion. Well, now we're, let's get into like movies. Unless you have any more books. Yeah, I'll talk about... In this this era, this time. In this era, we definitely have to talk about uh, William Gibson. Who wrote the book Neuromancer, which inspired The Matrix. (gasps) Oh, cool. Yeah. None of of these movies were ever original screenplays. They're always based on something. We have to talk about Philip K. Dick. Philip K. Dick. So he was very much in like a product of 60s San Francisco. Um, Mm -hmm. So he wrote... Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, which became Blade Runner, set in San Francisco. do they, though? In the book? Like, do they? Yes. They do. Okay. But that's the question, but they do. So can you explain, just spoil the the book out of it? If you remember your your ending from Blade Runner, right, is that the androids actually have super deep, deep interior lives. Yes. And are like... They appreciate poetry. And pictures. They love. And pictures. They have a Pinterest board. They have a scrapbook. They like unicorn origami. And in the movie, before Harrison Ford kills the android, he says, like, all these memories, like, washed away like tears in the rain. This is what the android says. Yeah. Yeah. What a poetic android. Yeah. So, yeah, the androids do dream. Um, they do. But were those dreams implanted in their heads? Right? Isn't that the whole... I don't think... Yeah. That's what I think Probably not. I think Philip K. Dick was arguing that if you create a sufficiently smart artificial intelligence, it's going to have emotions. Like, they will... It's an emergent phenomenon of when you make something intelligent enough, it'll be become thoughtful 
and have feelings and emotions. Oh, yeah, when she cries like the single tear. Yeah. <laughs> That's hot. I love it. She's just one tear. Just. But I always thought that because, like, the unicorn origami gets dropped then, the, like, and then, he, like, Harrison Ford has, he has had the the dream, the really vivid dream. Mm-hmm. And he had seen the unicorn origami, like, before. I thought they're saying that he's an android, too. And that that dream was implanted in his head. They hinted that in the movie. Yeah. In the in the book, that's like there's no. He's like definitely a human. There's not a, in the book. He also has a wife, <gasps> um, who is a religious fanatic. And there's a whole like subplot. Mm. She's a virtual reality religious fanatic. Yes, and she's so like she, my grandma. Oh my god. She's a member of a cult where you strap oh, on a VR like helmet and walk in this virtual reality, and you get to experience like the stoning of Jesus. That's in so cool. Reality. Okay, I want to experience that. Okay. Just, I mean, because uh, for the gram, you know. Well, and it talks about, yeah, so the, the protagonist comes in and his wife's like on the treadmill, like sweating buckets, and it's on like the highest, like, inclined set. Why did they put that because in the movie? she's like walking up the Mount of Olives or whatever to be like <laughs> crucified. That's amazing. Okay, hello. We need to do a rewrite. I mean, because it's a sprawling Philip K. Dick. I think famously had a very sprawling writing style that w- itself is sometimes sort of a, an acid trip. Um, and I really recommend that people read The Three Stigmata of Eldritch Palmer, okay. which like reality, dis- basically, yeah, reality disintegrates by the end of the book and reading it is a, a total like mind fuck. It's, a, it's great. Uh, he does it in several of his movies, even The Man in the High Tower, which people have probably seen. Yeah, the Amazon series, Man in the High Tower, is a Philip K. Dick novel. I mean, I don't trust anything about, like, the man made... It's, like, made by Amazon. Like, that's... that's Like, come on. It's got, it got really great reviews, actually. But you can't trust that, because it's, like... It's, oh. like, satiring their own selves. It's, like, commentating on their own... It would be, like... A, it would be, like, Brave... Kind of. Brave New World. You don't even know the plot of it. No, but... I'm like. I will admit the protagonist is like a reclusive billionaire. I believe. Yeah, that's I. I didn't. There would be like, whatever the one with Big Brother, 1984, right? Yeah. What about 19? Yeah, it would be like if a guy named Big Brother like was like produced that movie. Like you can't trust. Did we talk about Orson Welles? I suppose he's. I mean, Brave New World is sci-fi, but Orson Welles is very much known for his like. Right, like Animal Farm. Yeah, I well, I was, I was like the, around this time we were getting into the dystopian stuff, oh, so okay. I was, I was kind of like hinting at him. I don't think I said his name, but yeah. Um, a lot of people consider all of his stuff science fiction, though, because it's, it's like, I, I mean, I Animal Farm is not though, because that's not a technology that we. <laughs> Sorry, not Orson Welles, George Orwell. Yeah. Names mixed up. Orson Welles, we talked about earlier with the radio play. Um, yeah, so I just, yeah, we, we've noted Philip K. Dick, we've noted, um, William Gibson writing Neuromancer, the idea of, like, uh, he coined the term cyberspace. Yes. Um, the idea of, like, a, a cable that can jack into your spine to put you into, onto, like, virtual reality is in his, that's a pl- major plot point in Neuromancer. Ooh, that happened to me when I was a kid. And that was written in the late 70s, which is very badass. And then Neil Stevenson is the last, like, really great 
modern author I really want to call out because he wrote Snow Crash, which is probably my top three favorite books. I recommend everybody go read Snow Crash. Uh, and that coined the term avatar for like Ooh. your online persona. These little like faces we see right here on Instagram is your avatar coined by Snow Crash. Um, and yeah, he's an example of hard science fiction, but Neil Stevenson, uh, really great writer. William Gibson, not a bad kind of film noir style writer, I guess. He, he writes very noir. It feels like a detective novel. Yeah, but, which uh, isn't that a trope of science fiction that it's a SWM, right? Like it the is. Term? It's an SWM who's feeling, he's not feeling himself. He's feeling very out of power and can't control. He's basically having a midlife crisis, but like in his 20s. <laughs> Yeah. That's, isn't that like the trope of science fiction? Write what you know, <laughs> which is why yeah. it's also the genre has been criticized. I mean, as has the entire publishing industry but, for being very much about white males, which is why we should shout out. Ursula K. Le Guin. Yeah. Because she wrote a story about, uh, or yeah, about people not having gender at all. And that... That is the isn't that the scariest that thing is, ever for uh first first what the first last straight. hand of darkness yeah first it is basically like mothers and fathers can like switch places with each other and you know it's the world is genderless and the protag the protagonist is um I guess he is gendered and it's like a fucking nightmare for him. <laughs> Well, it's, yeah, it's an alien civilization that has no gender. That's basically taken over, they've conquered Earth, and the humans have to assimilate. Um, I guess we could, we should also Margaret Atwood. Handmaid's Tale. Handmaid's Tale. Alfred. Uh, yeah, and then both, honestly, in like a break from some of the like sci-fi authors we talked about earlier, they, they are... I mean, now anybody who writes sci-fi who's also a famous author, the chances are they're also a pretty good prose writer. Um, Philip K. Dick had a very distinctive style. Okay. But Arthur C. Clarke yeah. and Asimov were a little more wooden, but like Stevenson, great writer. And finally, we should call it N.K. Jemison, who is a, a woman uh, writer who won the Hugo Award uh, in, I think, 2016, 2017, and 2018. But also threw shade on the non-binary... Um, I identify her Apache helicopter. She did. Person. She did throw shade on one of and the. And she didn't even read their story, so. The Hugo short story I throw shade on her. this year, but I think it was sort of a gut reaction because. She jumped on a bandwagon. I think she assumed the story was written by a man, a straight white male, and that it, yeah, the title of the story is such that if a straight white male wrote it, it it would be obnoxious. Yeah, but I'm like, you have to read, like, you have to keep your enemies close, you know. Okay. So I'm I'm mad that she didn't read it. Yeah, but uh, N.K. Jemisin, the it's called the the fifth season, I think is the name of that might be the second novel in the series, but uh, yeah, it's a very cool series. Um, said it has parallels with Game of Thrones, uh, in that there is magic. Ooh. There's magic. We yeah. love magic. And there's, a, there's a chaotic fifth season. So let's go through the movies real quick. Yeah. You can also mention authors more as, as we, we go, go but th but there's movies like emerging like we crazy at this time. We didn't even talk time. about the funny sci-fi writers. Douglas Adams. Aren't they all funny? 
I'm kidding. more than others. I mean, I'm kidding. I, I joke. Neil Stevenson is very funny. Um, but explicitly funny is Kurt Vonnegut even proclaimed that he was a satire writer, but was categorized as a sci-fi okay, writer. Okay, now you're making this all about... People wanted us to talk about Alien and Aliens and Star Wars and the Fifth Element. Okay. Come on. Talk about those. Come on. No, you... Okay, so Kurt Vonnegut... You're just going to list authors. That's no fun. No, those were the no last two I wanted to, to okay. call out. Everyone's seen... They had movies, too. I... No one's read those movies. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, I believe, was like two movies and a TV show. Okay. All right. Okay. So everyone wants to know about aliens and alien. Alien and aliens. So how did the movie Alien come into being? You know, actually, you know more about that than I do. Oh, you mean aliens? The story? No, no. The, <laughs> the movie Alien, the first in the trilogy, um, came out in 1979. Mm -hmm. um, right uh, what, directed by Ridley Scott. Ridley Scott. Yes. Directed and produced? And starred in. No, it wasn't produced by him. But, but yeah, directed by Ridley Scott. Um, I forget the name of the screenwriter. Who cares? No one cares about the screenwriter. Sorry. <laughs> well, so it's a... I don't know how like deep we want to get into the story, not, but the, too deep. the writing of it is very very neat because at the time, like, they're like, they wanted a... a there are all these different ideas that the screenwriter wanted to put in, and he had done like, while in film school, had done a short like uh, sci-fi movie, and he wanted to expand it. And he famously remarked, or Ridley Scott famously remarked, "I didn't steal the idea for Alien from anyone. I stole from everyone, because when you watch the movie, there's actually probably fifteen different tropes and ideas he took from different stories." Um, but. Yeah, the plot, real quick, plot synopsis is... Spoilers! Uh, there's a, a very cool thing about Alien. Too, there's think, a spaceship. The there's spaceship. a chick on the spaceship. No one gives a fuck about her because she's a chick. But the there's a... Yeah, okay. The cast I of the so movie excited. Alien was older than most sci-fi casts. The, the average age was like 40. Yeah. Which is like, you normally wouldn't put a movie. And then, but then they had that little baby to and, like average it out. And they're all... There's no baby. The little girl. Oh, that's Aliens. That's Aliens. And there's a, there's no, uh, they're all working class. They're all minors, actually. Like on they're the wait. I thought you said they were old. How how could they be minors? Uh, yeah. But so there's like there's like a Broy McBroerson, and he's like, he's like company man, and they're on this they're on the spaceship. They're like asleep. They're taking a little nappy pants, and then they get awakened by her mother. The ship is. Name His mother. His name is Mother. Mother, right. Mama Roo, wakes them up and is like, oh my God, Wait. there's a distress. <laughs> there's a disturbance in the forest. The listeners have probably seen Alien. I, I mean, I just love that the ship is like, um, excuse me, something's like, you guys need to wake up. There's an issue. Yeah. And then the woman, then like Sigourney Weaver really gets her time to shine. Um. You know, there's all this, like, should we follow the rules of the ship or not? Yeah, there's a stress signal from the site of, like, from another planet. They go to investigate and, like, land on the planet. They, like, damage their ship and have to fix it up. The ship and is while like, they're waiting, Ow. they investigate the distress signal. It's coming from an alien spaceship that's super old. And while they're investigating <laughs> it, aliens. an alien jumps out of an egg, smashes into a guy's face, and latches onto his face. And then, uh... 
they like, you know, bring him back to the ship. And Scorny Weaver's like, hell no. He's not getting on the yeah. ship. Quarantine rules. No. Just and, like today. And so then, much like life. Yeah. And another guy on the, the ship, she's like outranked. Another guy like overrules her. He's and, like, shut uh, up. Shut up. You're a woman. <laughs> yeah. Quiet. And so they bring, they bring the guy on the ship who eventually like the face hugger like drops off and the guys they're like okay you're good and then they're yeah. about to go back to sleep and then they're eating dinner and he starts they're ha- coughing yeah, they're, they're eating dinner yeah which that's like a i remember i don't know i think my dad was watching Ilian when i was like pretty little and i remember that like just walking in the living room around that scene and being like oh cool they're on a spaceship and this dude just like starts coughing up like like a like giving birth and coughing up like a fucking alien and i was like oh my god it doesn't cough up an alien. It's a chest burster. And it bursts out of his chest. He starts it's coughing like, and they flip him over. And they're like, like <coughs> chest compressions. And then, yeah. uh, and then the alien's like, hello. And it like comes out of his heart. It's like, I've been here all along. Hasn't the alien been there all along? This is actually the movie Spaceballs that you're exciting. <laughs> Did you ever watch that? Yes. With Rick Moranis. One of his finest, finest <gasps> films, actually. Yes. And the alien does like it has like it's the singing Warner Brothers frog. Yeah, does, that's like, what I was dance. doing. <laughs> yeah, it's like it has a little cane. It's like yeah, uh, hello, my honey, hello, yeah. My baby, hello, my yeah, yeah. So it uh, then there's like an alien loose on the ship. <laughs> the aliens mature in about six hours. <laughs> They're like full grown adult. They can spit acid. Oh yeah, and it's There's in so the Bugles commercial. They they put it in. Oh yeah, they did. They did because. The guy is, like, eating bugles. He's on the spaceship, and the alien is, like, it comes up to him. I like an alien because it has really tiny teeth. Mm-hmm. And it's and it has dainty little fingers, and it wants a bugle. And the guy's, like, feeding it bugles, and it's, like, crunch <laughs> with its tiny teeth. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also in Aliens. That's great bugles, man. Yeah, they'd be, like, yeah. having Freddy Krueger or some, like, like the horror monster yeah, is, like, I in your it. commercial. I love in Aliens where Sigourney Weaver's, like, Get off her, you bitch! And she like, I just love that. And like, yes, female empowerment. Yeah, and there's like little girl in that one so, with, a, with the, who's the stuffed animal? Is the stuffed so, animal? So alien. By the way, the synopsis was Jaws in space. Mm-hmm. Is, is what the no one said can hear you scream in space. In, in space. space. No, it's in space. No one can hear you scream, scream in, in space. space. Yeah. Yeah, aliens too. They it's just aliens, right? Sorry, aliens. Yeah, they send they send a baby with a little blinky. Ripley gets sent back into it. Why though? Then, it's like she's done. Come on, why would you do that to her? Yeah, she's done. In alien, alien one. She, you know, she escapes and finally like boots the alien out the airlock. She's like, you bitch, go into space. Um. Oh, that's why she gets the. They they're like the villain in on all these series. The the Wayland Yutani Corporation. Yeah. Is this futuristic like Amazon? It's, it's basically, basically, it's basically I was like, Amazon. it's Bloomberg now. Yeah, no, it's Amazon. They're like, you have to go back. You gotta go back. Well, they're like they're like uh they're like, oh, like they're like there can't be aliens on that planet. Like, cause cause she was but in they... a hyperspace after alien, she's been in space for another sixty years before yeah. she gets back. And she she's like, good, though. did you guys get my message? Well, she was sleeping the whole time. She's she like, did you guys get my rest. message? There's, there's like, <laughs> did you get my message? There's aliens on that planet, and they're, they're like, like new phone who dis? They're, they're like, like, they're like Alexa. 
They're like, there can't be aliens on that planet. We like, there's a new colony there and they're doing fine. Go, she's like, go check it out. She's like, your colony is already dead. And they're like, oh, fuck, can you help us then? <laughs> and she's like, only if you promise to destroy the aliens. And they're like, fingers yeah, crossed. They're okay. Like, yeah, they're like, okay, sure. Both, yeah, I love it. It's so campy. It's great. And then chaos ensues. Chaos ensues. But she gets away again. She does. She always, she always As she always do. Yes, yeah, so we love aliens. Like Star Wars comes out around this time, too, in the 70s. Second, second Aliens, by the way. Or, sorry, Aliens, directed by James Cameron. Hmm. Titanic. Yeah, <laughs> Titanic and Avatar. Uh, aliens, it's Titanic in space. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, that it, it actually took seven years to make the sequel. Uh, aliens came out in 86 because... Yeah. I think it was Fox was the distributor, just thought that it was a fluke that, that the first alien did so well. Yeah. And they're like, well, but nobody really wants to see sci-fi. But then... I don't they know, did. I don't know. Then if, Star Wars came out and they were like, all right, do it. Yeah, did E.T.? When did E.T. come out? Was it before or after Aliens? I don't know. Yeah, sci-fi took but, off again. Yeah, it took off. It launched again. But there, But there was Star Wars in between there. There was like... Mm-hmm. There was Star Wars. There was Star Wars in the seventies. Yeah, I think it's late, funny. Late seventies, jo- early eighties. Also, Vonnegut and uh, um, Hitchhiker's Guide. Douglas Adams were published. Oh, yeah. That's like when they were like most active too. Yes. Um, oh yeah, Blade Runner is in nineteen eighty two. But I guess well, Star Wars real quick. It's like everyone knows Star Wars. I hate the new ones. I don't. I don't acknowledge that they exist because they're dumb. And I hate them. Ever since Disney bought the series. You like them when they were independent films. Yeah, which they are. Did you, I mean, because Lucasfilm was independent. Mm-hmm. And I was watching this, like, interview with George Lucas, and he was, like, super broke because he was trying to get American Graffiti sold to a studio, and it was, like, a nightmare for him. And then the studio that did like it, he was like, I'm also trying to do this, like, space movie. And they were like, let's do it. Yeah. Uh... But I don't know, the original ones, they're so good because they have, like, puppets and stuff like that. But it's really because of the toys that it did well. Because, you know, Ewok was, like, the Ewoks were never called Ewoks ever, like, in the movie. Mm-hmm. But they made toys. And Boba Fett is never called Boba Fett. Like, they never say Boba Fett. But toys came out called, you know, they were like, it's Boba Fett. So yeah. that's really merchandising. <laughs> Got to get your merch. <laughs> you have to name the thing. Yeah, and I had a ton of Star Wars toys when I was younger because I loved I loved Star Wars and then yeah I remember me and my like my friends we went to go see the Phantom Menace and we were like so excited we were so excited we just like couldn't wait and we brought all of our Star Wars toys to the movie theater and we were really excited and my friend knocked his popcorn over before the movie even started so he was like so excited and then we left the movie and we were like we were like it was like a deep trauma that we were trying not to acknowledge like how bad like we were like that was okay right it was all right it was okay mm-hmm. it was it was it was okay we were like silently freaking out because it was not okay also the star wars christmas special with b arthur come on it's about uh chewbacca wanting to like go to his family on what what their what his race they I forget what what they call Christmas but it's like a special day 
it's a very bad movie. It's a full movie? It's a full movie, yeah. Oh. B. Arthur sings. She's the bartender, but that bar, like the cantina or whatever, is like super empty because B. Arthur's like a bad bartender. I mean, come on. Because it's Christmas. Oh, yeah, maybe because it's Christmas. But it's like there's a day and he's like, it's like it's like good souls day and I need to go see my family. But he's not speaking. He's speaking Wookiee. So he's just like, ooh. And then people have to repeat. They're like, oh, you want to go see your family? And he's like, ooh, you know. So, yeah, it's bad. but It's really good. Maybe my favorite Star Wars. Yeah. Um, also, George Lucas wanted to be a race car driver. Uh, but then he crashed his race car. So he didn't want to do that anymore. So he wanted to be a pilot. But then he had too many speeding tickets. Because I guess he was racing his cars in the fucking street. Um, so he couldn't do that. So then he settled on movies. You know. Because. Yeah. And we, we realized also in researching this that his, his background actually similar to Gene Roddenberry. Because mm-hmm. Gene Roddenberry Gene Roddenberry was a pilot, though. Yeah. Um, was in World War II. Uh, was almost killed in a, in a plane crash, but was one of the few survivors. Yeah. Um, and, and then, then he ate everyone. decided he wanted to be, a, a, I guess, a, a TV writer? Or then somehow, I don't know how he then became a TV writer, but... Uh, he yeah. ate everyone else who survived the plane crash. Then invented Star Trek. Yeah. And wrote Star Trek. And uh He invented ho- this? Hooked up with uh Did he invent this? I'm doing the Voltron he... symbol. Was that a Vulcan. Oh. Vulcan symbol, yes. Live long and prosper. Is that like he invented that? Like being able to do this with your fingers? I think so. He yeah, so I mean, right, he he wrote the series, so yeah, he must have come up with that. But did he describe it? Was he like, okay, so you do the shocker, but then you add an extra finger? I mean, also, yeah, I mean, like, such a great series and memorable, too, because of the actors, right? So, like... Captain Picard. Yeah. Oh, my goodness, the, the queeniest... Oh, the first interracial kiss on TV is in Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, in part... That's a very cool thing about uh, Roddenberry was really insistent on his like vision for the show versus what like the TV network executive said he could do, um, which is why Star Trek had the the first interracial kiss, for example, because he's like, it's the future. Of course, there's an interracial cast on this like yeah. spaceship, and like there isn't like segregation or like they didn't have any. Know, I mean, like, I guess racism. they were all kind of gay. Like <laughs> I was like, they didn't. They never. None of them came out though, right? I don't think there were any gay characters in the show. <laughs> in but space, like, no one can hear you cream. <laughs> Leonard Nimoy was like the Vulcan, so he was like super logical, right? Uh, oh, I love... Okay, there's one that is like amazing because they don't have... They don't... They're like autistic and they need a woman to come explain like emotions to them. Leonard Nimoy does? Yes. Vulcan? Yeah, yeah the Vulcan. super logical. They're like, they're like, wait, emo- like how? And it's like the craziest math. And the woman's like, okay, so like there's sadness and there's like happiness. And they're like, mind blown. Wait, this was a Star Trek episode? Yes, it was. Yeah. Look it up. It's so funny. It's so good. Okay. It's like a secret race of like super advanced emotion people. And they're just like women. And they're just like the feels. Nice. It's so funny. They probably live on Venus or something. So, yeah, Star Trek famously took the the form of, maybe a lot of TV shows did this back then, I don't know, in like the 60s, but like uh, where every episode would be like a new little adventure, like a serialized bunch of adventures, so it was kind of like a pulp magazine in that sense, these little bite-sized adventures. But the very cool thing about uh, Star Trek 
is that they they're not like a military force they're exploring and there's no money and so like their economists have written books about the star trek universe it's yeah. really fascinating because they're like why would anybody even go on these voyages because they always you know the concept of a red shirt they always yeah. kill the, the they always kill juniors like red yeah. shirt guys like, why would anybody even sign up for it if it's, like, the future? They have, like, the matter compositor that can make whatever food or thing they want. And, like, it's an economist analyzes it seems like it's for prestige. Yeah. And that's why people do stuff on the internet for likes. And that's why we do this podcast. Yeah. Which, little plug, give us a five-star review. <laughs> Thanks. And share with your friends because we don't put ads on it, at least not to my knowledge. Um, so, yeah, that's how you can support us. And if you want to suggest a future episode do so because <laughs> you can you can just send us a comment we'll yeah so let's we gotta do Blade Runner we, we talked about Blade Runner right yeah I think we've we covered did. pretty much everything Fifth Element oh yeah we can do you want to tell some backstory about about the Fifth Element I mean I just want to mention yeah it's a great movie it because because um Lilu's really hot and she has the secret of the universe inside of her <laughs> And uh, that secret is basically that, because it's like, what is it? The, there's like all the elements, but then it's like, what's the fifth one? And it's actually falling in love with someone who's perfect, which is, because every time, every time Lilu, she's always like changing or something, like changing her clothes when they're in there and there's always like some dudes like talking about her and they're like, she's perfect. She's, she's the perfect, you know, and at the end, all um, Bruce Willis has to do is, like, fall in love with her and, like, everything's okay. So I kind of, I love that about it. That's my favorite part about it. All right, you have pretty dramatically different takeaways, I thought, <laughs> I think, from most other people who saw the film. Yeah. Um, right, Luc Besson wrote it. Yeah. And he was he was sued, right? <laughs> he was besued. Somebody believed that he plagiarized it, um, but he was able to show that he w had been working on it since he was a teenager. He wrote, he, yeah, he's he wrote like, look at my notebooks. Kind of storyboards and comics, so he or he was to French, tell that right? Story. He's like, look at my notebook, look at it. I also fantasize about Mila Jovovich, and then we we write letters in our and language. He did. He he and Mila Jovovich because uh, he wrote her a letter. Got together during during the shooting. He of wrote the film. her a letter in her like. The two What's of them the name in, of her language? The two of them language? invented the, like, ancient language that Mila Jovovich they would, speaks. They would, instead of baby talking, they would do that. Yeah. They would, what was the they language did. They wrote, called? They wrote letters in their own, you know, ancient language that they invented. I think people just say they wrote letters, but you know, you know it was, like, sex talk. Like, right? Probably, I think they probably wrote letters to each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Also, Diva, the... Lucas, he's had some other cool movies, but I don't think any have touched uh, the level of coolness no. that was the fifth element. The costumes, Gautier, design yes, them. Yes, and hiring, yes. hiring a great uh, forward-thinking fashion designer to do the costumes. Putting Chris Tucker in that movie oh, as yeah. Ruby Rod. Oh, my God. I'm so rude. I didn't even mention Chris Tucker. He's, like, the best part of it. I'm sorry. Lilo's hotness is like second to Bruce, Chris Tucker. I mean, Bruce Willis and like a a weird like orange vest type thing. Like the clothing is just all like super cool that they have. But Bruce Willis is they a, have Metro cars. Is a gritty New York City hover taxi cab driver. 
is, yeah. is like a, a pretty great character. It's Taxi Driver on well. Mars. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, and then we, and the, the diva, the song. The diva dance. The diva dance. It's so, it, it was so hard to sing like no human could sing it until until uh, Asia got talent. So I'll, I, I'll pull that up. So they got, originally got a French opera singer to sing the song, but, but some of the, really the incredibly high soprano notes happened so fast uh, that she wasn't capable of singing it. So they had to actually do it in editing, like edit together some of the runs uh, when the song picks up. But now multiple like orchestras or like, yeah, but they do all seem to be Chinese, like symphonies have done like productions of the, of the full song with an opera singer. Yeah, it's Jane. How do you say this? It's in Jane Zhang. Zhang. Yeah, she's the first person to actually sing it. She's a Chinese opera singer, and she's known as the Dolphin Princess. <laughs> That's her. She likes dolphins, yeah. or she can sing high pitched like probably, a probably that she can sing. Yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. Here we go. You, you wanna? Have to no, I do. Is it so good? I know the song. It's I guess you so could play good. a song. No, with her. That. Yeah. Oh, so, um... Can we cue it up? I will cue it up. Then you can play us out with it. Um, yeah, so that, that sums up our... This madcap dash through the history of science fiction. Um, we called out tons and tons of authors and directors. We probably and forgot tons so, and tons of them, too. Yeah. And we're not sorry about it because we got shit to do. <laughs> like, make a science fiction rave for you guys. Yes. What? What did I say? So this, uh... <gasps> This Saturday night, 9 p.m., we'll be putting on a science fiction rave, uh, which will feature some aerial dance reenactments of classic science fiction film scenes. Uh, you may see uh, Ariel's outfit from her Lilo outfit from The Fifth Element again. Yes! Um, you may see a Slave Leia piece. We do have some go-go dancers. Some special um, guests in our you galaxy. You might see some uh, Ava. Oh, we didn't even talk about the... Oh, Ex Machina. Ex Machina. You may see some of Ava Ex Machina realness. Yes. Uh, with an android. And, um, some freaky and aliens. you may see some freaky aliens. Some astronauts from 2001 Space Odyssey. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Ava Ex, Ma Ava Ex Machina, the freakiest, like, stabbage ever, I think, ever that I've ever seen. It's so, like, it's so robotic. It's so good. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's really good. I have the diva dance. We should we should we play it out? Oh yeah, so that Saturday on Twitch is better watched. Um, if you're in the New York area and you've been vaccinated and you want to see it in person, you can DM us. Right. We might make it happen for you. So if you're good, uh, um, I guess just play us out with the, the diva dance. Yeah, <laughs> the original. Diva the original dance. diva dance sung by Jane. Zhang. Jane Zhang. We just hold it up to the speaker. Zip ahead a little bit. You want to put your crazy visor on? Even just that part is crazy. Okay. It doesn't speed up to the last one. Yeah. Okay, let's get it. Let's get it. Come on. Come on. Oh, here it goes. It's about to get lit. 
Mr. Jazz. Oh my god. It's I get chills like whenever and I can't sing for shit. I'm not a musician, but I'm just like that a human can do this. Gonna We get in here real quick. Good night everybody on